Hello and welcome to Anime to Z, the podcast dedicated to all things anime. I'm Shay Lingo, I rap, I make music, and I'm known to watch Yu-Gi-Oh! on YouTube in my downtime. And I'm Beck Hill, a comedian, writer and artist, and I've been known to watch Shay Lingo watching people play Yu-Gi-Oh! on YouTube during his downtime. <laughs> so we've covered the genres of anime both of us are into and different ages at which we first dipped our toes into the anime pool. But something I picked up on is that you're much more into series, whereas I'm like much more familiar with anime films. Why do you think that is? I think for me, my, my, my kind of my history in watching things full stop is just more binge based. Do you know what I mean? Like, I've just always been, oh, I wonder what's going to happen in the next episode, especially with anime, because obviously you come up on anime that were very, very big on, like, cliffhangers, the Dragon, oh, Ball, yeah. the Dragon Ball Zs and Pokemons and find out what happens next time yeah. on Dragon Balls. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. all of that. So I, I came up on that, especially in, in, the, in the earliest forms of what was anime to me at that time I just thought it was cartoons do you know what mm. I mean when I was when I was I don't know 10 do you know what I'm saying so because I came up like that I guess I've just that's how you used yeah, to consuming that's just it. how I watch that's just that's just how I consume it and I think it gave me a lot more time to get attached to characters as well like it put me in a in a better position to be able to relate to characters and and as an adult in the same capacity to analyze who and what still resonates as mm. an adult do you know what I mean and then be able to kind of bridge the gaps with whatever uniqueness those characters have. You get me? And, yeah. and maybe the similarities they share and stuff. So, yeah. And just follow story and plot line. I just feel like it's more fun to watch it that way. Like, I'm just... And, I've, I mean, we've all got stuff to do. I just I just prefer to have, like, 20... <laughs> 20 as I got older, do you know what I mean? It was like, oh, okay, this is probably more convenient for my, my kind of life pace. Right, because you can, you can, like, if it's a 20-minute episode, you can finish it. Exactly. And then get on. See, that's the problem with me is I won't. I will binge. I'll yeah. keep going. And it's why I pretty much limit the amount of like TV series that I get into. Okay. Whereas with a film, yeah. I'm like, you watch it, you're done. Generally, films, if they're self-containing, you'll find out the answers to the questions you have by the end of it. Facts. I can sleep at night. Facts. I'm not like, oh, got to wait for the next one. Something I am keen to talk to you about, Obek, is these Evangelion films can sometimes be quite heavy. And is that is that normally the kind of TV that you would watch or... When it comes to anime, or is that like a, like a departure? Is that like a separate thing from what you're normally into? Yeah, that's a good point. I would say I I much more lean towards comedy because I'm from a, a stand up background. Yeah. Um, so I, I mean, do, yeah, generally, generally, yeah, not, not just anime. generally, I like comedy in my in all the things that I consume. But I would say that I I don't like a deep thing when it's sort of being pitched as an obvious deep you know when they're like oh this is about a man who loses his children and mm -hmm. then he's living on his own by a lake and, mm. and, and like I don't want to watch that why would I, I want to watch that you know that. but um but I will I do really enjoy when it's subversive so I what I've been enjoying with the film so far especially after last week's chat we had when you sort of honestly gave me that sort of epiphany about the way that it makes you feel like you have depression. It's not yeah. about like showing it, you know, what it looks like on other people. Yeah, it's yeah. just, it's that frustration that the, yeah. it causes. And I find that really fascinating. I like being sort of, I like being tricked. Yeah. I like being surprised. Yeah. 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 Okay. I like the way that sometimes anime and the escapism in it and the, 
juxtaposition of the beautiful artwork mm -hmm. can soften yeah. the amount of actual depth that you're going into. I'm with you. I'm entirely with you. Because you've watched a lot more anime television than me. Mm -hmm. Is there anything that you would recommend for me if I wanted something lighthearted, a bit of fun? I'm drawn to the more serious you like topics, the serious stuff. <laughs> but at the same time, there is a lot of comedy in One Piece. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, there's like a lot of comedic moments in One Piece just due to their camaraderie and their companionship. So yeah, yeah, like maybe One Piece, and there's a lot of comedy from quite early on as well. So mm. yeah, and then right. the introduction of certain characters will also make you giggle a little bit. So yeah, definitely. Okay, I'll have to check it out. Finally. Right, so we're going to discuss the third film in the Rebuild of Evangelion franchise, 2012's Evangelion 3.33, You Cannot Redo. You can expect deep cuts, quickfire questions, and a handful of spoilers. So if you want to watch the film without any context, hit pause, head over to Prime Video UK and watch the film now. But if you're gung-ho about that kind of thing or have already seen the film, stay with us as we plunge into the mind-boggling world of creator Hideki Anno. So we're three films deep into the franchise now. So how are you feeling about it? Are you still a fan? I would say I'm more of a fan. Beautiful. I loved Evangelion 3.3. <laughs> I loved it. It is an absolute game changer for Bro, me. I could flip this table right now. I, I could, I could. As oh. soon as I finished it, I was like, I emailed our producer and I was, Nicole, and I was like, oh my gosh, it's so good. Like, it's just blew my mind. I, I, everything about it from the very beginning to the end, I just absolutely adored it. I think that was my favorite film. I'll be honest. Out of the ones we've watched, I think that was definitely, that one brought it, brought so much together for me. Yeah. And not only did it do that, but it, I, I can't wait to do, the quick fire WTF moments. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but <laughs> we'll get to that. Bro, oh. <laughs> ah. I want to just, ah, it was, oh, no, it was so good. It was so good, man. It turned a lot of what David said on our first episode. It turned a lot of that into truth for me. Do you know what I mean? Like, I was I was super, super into the fact that he, he saw so much of this anime in other anime and saw how mm. it influenced other anime. Yeah. There was such a connection point for the, for me with number three. Like, it was crazy. So for those that need a slight refresh and given how overwhelming these films can be, um, what the heck went on in Evangelion 3.33, Shay? So, it's, I mean, it was, a, it was a complete pace changer. It's 14 years after the third impact that Shinji induced with Unit 1. And you don't really realise that until later. So it's 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 super weird to see all these things kind of happen. Nerve has been dismantled and what is left of Nerve, Gendo and, and a couple of his colleagues, are are now kind of fighting against this new faction called Will. Will is made up of Misato and all the people that he used to be super close with who now hold this crazy grudge against him because obviously he induced the third impact and wiped out more of the world. So it's, it's super crazy to see. It's really weird to see that kind of dynamic happen. Then he meets Kawaru in the shell of Nerve. And it's insane. It's insane how, how, their, how their relationship builds and, and where it develops to. Can I just say, Ashka's alive. She, yeah. She's oh, alive. Yeah, okay. I got so, so excited. Yeah, sorry. Oh, my days. So obviously the last time we saw Ashka, she was in the mouth of what I'm going to call the rogue unit one yeah. who was being controlled by the dummy. And and we thought she was dead, yeah, which we is she was obviously dead. what we what we what we spoke about. And I before. should have known because in sci-fi they always say if you don't see a body, 
that I've always thought that I've just always had yeah. that as like I didn't see a body nobody showed me no, I, I never saw it so it didn't happen yeah. do you know what I mean I need to know the full detailed backstory about why Asuka now has this super cool eye patch I know they touch on it and I know they yeah they have a moment but I need to know what that day was like for her. I really hope it was just, uh, she just was holding her fault the wrong way. <laughs> Sneezed or something. <laughs> I'd love it if it was something dumb, you know, because like most of the time, if you if anyone who has um, scars and stuff, like quite often, either it's going to be something traumatic. So you don't want to ask someone how they got a scar in case mm-hmm. you're like, oh, I'm going to bring back horrible things. Or it's something really mundane. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. then they're quite embarrassed yeah. that they have to explain that. Oh, yeah, I've got this. You know, you never see people with like eye patches or uh, or in Bond films or whatever the massive scar down there. They're never like, oh yeah, I was running and I tripped and I fell onto a cabinet. Word that actually doesn't happen. It always has to be like this super sexy, kind of violently romantic situation. Yeah, that nearly escaped a, death. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like a, like yeah. A, yeah, like a near death story where I saved a baby from a burning bit. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. it, it's always that like I got this mad score in my yeah, yeah. Well this crazy. is what I want from uh, from the fourth film then. I want I want it to turn out that Ashkin's got a um either we never find out about yeah. the eye patch. Yeah. I'd love that. It's not our business. Yeah <laughs> I would I would actually love that as well. Or it turns out that it was from something super mundane. Oh, mate. A toothbrush mistake. I don't know. <laughs> champagne cork. Yes. Yes. Champagne cork. You know I, mean? I love that. Pen Pen. Didn't see Pen Pen. I mean, I guess they're suggesting that Pen Pen died in the third impact, but I like to think that he might come back. Ah, Pen Pen, my guy. I know. And because uh, I've, I've been saying this whole time, I will find answers. Yeah. I will find answers. Before we delve into discussing the film more, which I know we both really wanted to, uh, I noticed that Mihiro Maeda is credited as a director on this sequel alongside the main trio, which is Hideo Keanu, Kazuya Tsurumaki and Masayuki. Yes, you've done your homework. (laughs) (laughs) I have. Where were you when I was a kid? I needed that. I've done it. Yeah, so he was a key animator on the Studio Ghibli films Pocorosso, Castle in the Sky and Only Yesterday. Plus, he animated the Oren Ishii sequence in Kill Bill Volume 1, which is that bit where we see how Lucy Liu's character became an orphan at the hands of the Yakuza. He was also involved in the Animatrix. Uh, he's been called one of the most imaginative visualists in anime. Sounds like he is. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree on that. <laughs> I noticed there was a, quite a bit of a shift in the third film. It was very refreshing, actually. It was a lot. It was a lot more, I dare say, engaging. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Even even with the fight scenes and stuff, they they were they were still very engaging in 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 the first two films. But I think this one kind of ramped it up even more because obviously in the first one you had a lot more of a build, a lot more of a setup. In the second one, they introduced Asuka, so it's it's very much to do with her competence and and the the visibility of the other Avers and what they can and can't do and yeah. all of that kind of stuff. And then this third one, it's like it's just. All smoke and fire. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. From from the jump. How cool is the Vanda? The big, oh, bro. like with the whale sounds and everything. And the like sound the was incredible. Sixty four million ribs that hold the um, the unit one. Yeah, the yeah. unit one below, which is powering the whole ship. I just I, so cool. Yeah. Um, I wrote a couple of notes when I was watching it, and one of the ones that I've got is just in capitals. It just says Masato looks like a badass. Yes. <laughs> I was so confused at first. I was thinking, okay, so are we are we in a different timeline? Are we because you don't really find out that it's 14 years later till like way that way further down do you get me you don't really have that context so it's, it was it was really strange to see how how everyone was the same but 
changed well, so much. I'd be interested to know who was involved with deciding the extra, extra characters because it, it felt like we got a bit more of a variety of characters, slightly more diverse characters, which is nice. You don't get to see them that often, but at least it felt like they were considered, which was really nice. So instantly I was like, oh, this film already has my trust. And it just meant I was able to throw myself into it a lot more. Word. I feel like development or the growth of the characters over that 14 year period that, that Shinji is in stasis is like they come, he comes out of the stasis and everyone on his team kind of looks and feels the same, but they're just more fed up. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. They just they don't they don't necessarily feel like they've moved on, but they just feel like they've been doing this for a long time. Do you well, know what I mean? I'll tell you what it may and again, this comes from our chat from the last episode. Mm-hmm. It really made me think of it in the sense of when something life altering happens to you and that can be good but quite often it's bad and it's where you feel, you know, if you go through a depressive state where you isolate yourself and then if you manage to start to come out of it, it feels like the whole world has moved on without you. Word. Very and that's exactly how he feels. And because and no one tells him what happens for why they're angry at him for ages. And obviously they're continuing and they still have hope. That's why they're fighting. So it's not like they've given up, but they're just, they're just so much further ahead than yeah, him. Yeah. In and being they don't, to... they, they act like they don't have time to catch him up exactly. either, which is also very intrinsic to the, to kind of the, the environment you step out of your cave well i mean for me myself like when i stepped out of the cave it was very much and the cave being like a obviously an analogy for stepping out of the depressive space you get me it's very disorientating and you do have to catch up and you have to almost immediately have this high sensitivity and respect for the fact that you are you're allowed to have lived your life and not be concerned to a certain extent with what i'm doing or where i'm at because you spent a lot of time trying to help me and trying to deal with it and trying to to pull me out of it in a lot of ways or trying to like suggest things or whatever the case may be. And and I love you for that. I just couldn't embrace it at that time. And mm. I actually locked off more because I felt the guilt of not being able to yes. embrace it. Do you know what I mean? So there yeah. is there is a lot that black box that Shinji ends up on the earth in is very, very synonymous with how it feels to be in that stasis kind of period or in, mm. in that in that space where nothing seems to be moving. But then he's got Kaoru, who who's like the perfect like analogy for that that bit of hope that you get, that thing. Uh, what did you find what did you think of their relationship and the way it was expressed? At first I thought it was a little bit weird because I was thinking, he's way too nice. Do you get Yeah, me? Like, you don't trust him, do yeah, you? Yeah, you immediately from the from the jump I was just like, okay, what's the angle here? Do you know what I mean? And how much are you going to take advantage of him because he's already in a crazy like and that just didn't happen mm. and i think i think that is super also very very um aligned with how um how sensitive to other people's intentions you become when you're leading into that space of yeah. like of like the the darker space you know what i mean you just start to question everybody's motives and intentions and time and you're like oh yeah you don't really have time and and i know you don't really have time that's why i didn't speak to you about it or do you know what i mean because you don't want to get into that space of like thinking somebody's just being nice because you're being open do you know what i mean yeah, yeah. and you you don't you also don't want to drag them into your space so you're like i know you, you're almost hyper aware of how of how dark it is, you know what yeah. I'm saying, and how sharp your 
your spines are. You Especially get me? when you hate yourself so much, you, you can't understand why anyone would like you. Yeah, like, just... of course, they must be trying to trick you because why would they like you? Exactly. And... You're, you're coming to terms with so much all at once. Do you know what I mean? And I think Kawaru is kind of like a perfect example of that type of person that actually has no ill or misguided intentions for you just wants to literally help you. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Just wants to be there for you. Just wants to help you understand that this is momentary. This is this is not going to last forever. And even if you feel like it's lasting too long and it becomes unbearable, I'm here for you. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Furthermore, let's let's try and find a synergy. Let me let me distract you from that for a little bit. Oh, speaking of which, the use of like obviously the piano with mm. Corey and I mean the the duet and everything, mm. which I thought normally if a film or TV show does that where they kind of go off on a bit of a weird one. I sort of go a bit like, okay, like it'll take me out of it and I'll usually find it quite funny or something. Right? I'm not really a fan of musical stints. No, but like I in, loved in it. Yeah, I, lo it I thought it was so necessary and appropriate. Mm. Um, and I, one thing I picked up on was that obviously you've got the piano with them. Uh, uh, Shinji reaches out to Ray, who's obviously not behaving the way that he knows Ray to behave mm. by bringing her books because the Ray that he knew read books. Mm -hmm. And then uh, later we see him playing um, Japanese chess. Mm -hmm. And it, and that, again, is, is when they're having that big conversation about who Ray is and where she's from. Why the use of wrong? games and hobbies yeah. as a way of connecting with other people, I just felt like that really hit home for me because mm -hmm. it's whenever I feel down, it's it's doing something, it's doing a hobby or an interest that can involve someone else Definitely. that tends to pull me back out of it. Yeah. Well, when Kawaru kind of coaxed Shinji into into kind of forgetting about the structure of wanting to be better and started playing the piano, they started doing the duet together. Shinji picked it up way too quickly <laughs> for me to feel like you must have done this before. Do you know what I mean? I reckon that's one of those things where it's either Shinji hasn't done it for a long time and was able to start remembering or it's to symbolise how long they they do it for. <laughs> to the, the fact, Yeah. But you're right, you're right. I do it, but I love that line about, like, it, you don't do it because you're good at it. You do it because you like the sound it makes. Yeah, yeah. He's like just... And I, I, there was a line there, actually, that was super... That hit home really, really, really strongly when they, when they first started doing a duet and... Kawaru says to Shinji, like, just do what makes you feel good or, or what sounds good to you. Do you know what I mean? And he says, do what sounds good, essentially. And Shinji responds with something that he didn't say. He says, well, what would make me feel good is if I was if I was better at it. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Something to that effect. And, and I was like, that resonated quite heavily with me as well in terms of like just hearing what you want to hear versus what the person is actually saying, which again is woven into the idea of me not trusting Kawaru to begin with. Do you know what I mean? Like it was, it's very like I'm seeing and feeling what I want to see and feel, but you're actually none of those things. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it, it, that was, that was super interesting for me to kind of connect. One thing that really struck me about this film is how many scenes feel like theatrical plays like there's that lovely moment where Shinji first comes back to Nerve and Ikari like Gendo's not talking to him and it's really frustrating but when he introduces reintroduces Rei who we know is not the same Rei and Kaoru these spotlights come on them you know, in yeah. the same way you'd watch in a, in a theater. That would never happen in real life. Yeah. Who's standing there pressing the buttons? And I thought you know? that. I was like, 
how have you who's why 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 do they know where this spotlight that's not, is that's not even gendo's nature to be like that do you yeah, know what i mean yeah. to set all right yeah when i say imagine that like gendo saying and I, I mess with his new look by the way like the the, the new oh, yeah, yeah. the new visor and stuff but he's i can't i can't imagine gendo as a character saying yeah when i say this hit that spot. Yeah, yeah, that spot. yeah. Like, and, they're, and they're standing there in the darkness waiting for the spotlight. You know spotlight. what I mean? Like, yeah. Stand no, here, Ray. Stand here, Kawaru. Do you know what I mean? It's so, that is such a, uh, a directorial choice, which mm. I really appreciate. And you get it again when, with the reveal with Ray and all the heads in the shelf. But when that the light suddenly goes poof, in the background and, and you that reveal, again, it's so theatrical, yeah, you know. Yeah, it's yeah. that the scenes are just beautifully set up. And it was one of the things that allowed me to stop. The The problem with the first two was that I kept trying to watch them as traditional films, yes. narratives. Same. Same. And then this one was the first time that I easily went, oh, this is this is a, an expression. So do you think that number three answered all of your questions from number one and two? Oh, absolutely not. No. <laughs> <laughs> I was not expecting you to say. I mean, like, there's some, there's obviously a lot more answers yeah. than the other two yeah. uh, provided, but there's still so many. I mean, and if anything, I've got more questions now because I'm, I'm, even though I came out of that feeling really enlightened, yeah. I still don't quite understand the massive head. <laughs> That was a bit weird for me as well. Which I'm guessing again is symbolic, but I found hard to get your get your head around. Yay. Ah, Maybe that's it. There's a natural yeah. one. <laughs> we are absolutely thrilled to be joined in the studio by actress, author, podcaster, and illustrator Jessie Cave who is here to talk about Evangelion through the lens of her own experiences with franchises, illustration, pressure and grief. So what did you think of the film? It was quite nostalgic for me watching because my siblings were obsessed with anime and I grew up with, you know, I got home from school and one of my brothers was homeschooled and I would get home and he would quite often just be watching some kind of anime. And my son now, he, I mean, I know Pokemon isn't like, it, I mean, that is anime, right? Yeah, yeah. Pokemon? Pokemon. Yeah, yeah, great. Yeah. Okay, well, we are he is like fully obsessed with Pokemon. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm basically living out a weird form of, I don't know, it's just every day is, is kind of drenched in nostalgia for my childhood and now with my own kids with Pokemon. Anyway, so watching this, it did feel just really nice and, and there were so many themes in it that I really related to and I just forgot how... I haven't sat down and watched a whole anime for a long time. I've mm. kind of dipped in and out. Like, oh, the first one is, like... Oh, the first one's pretty standalone, but it's a bit slower. Yeah. This one, it feels like a film, you know, like it's a roller coaster. Yeah. It feels like it's really split into two parts as well because the first half is just all action. Mm. It just mm. feels like that goes on forever. Mm. And then you... Yeah, at first because I'm so used to watching things that are just so quick and so dense with dialogue. And then just to have long-running action sequences and beautiful artwork and just looking at it as if it's a painting and sometimes worrying if the if it's just frozen, my screen, because it's just <laughs> static but beautiful. And then someone starts speaking or there's a bit of lovely music. And, yeah, it felt really just... It was just a beautiful thing to watch and a kind of an antidote to what my normal life is like and what, what I usually watch. What do you usually watch? Um, CBBS. <laughs> <laughs> Would you say you had any like preconceptions or any kind of expectations of Evangelion? And if so, 
what were they or how did it like kind of differ from the type of stuff that you would have expected from it? Well, the first half, it, I was like, okay, this is what I expected. This is, you know, lots of explosions, lots of instructions. And yeah, but then when it started getting a bit more heartfelt and deep and re- like really moving, that did surprise me. I felt quite enriched from the experience. I really do see the beauty in it. You're an illustrator, as we know, and you studied animation in uni, didn't you? How did you find, like, as someone who studied animation, because I know that these films blew my mind, what, what was the uh, reaction you had to that? I just always have had such... Like, I think I have more respect for animators than any other profession. Mm. I don't know, you haven't met my plumber. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, plumbers and gymnasts. I think they're the top three. Top three, just they're they're otherworldly. Yeah. The for for and animators, it's behind them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm a um, gymnast animator. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I wouldn't even want to. Uh, There's just too threatening. That's a Twitter bio. For <laughs> That's you. a triple threat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I think it's because of the patience involved, mm. because it's just days and days and days to get one frame. I mean, the tiniest bits of action that have, have been weeks of these people's lives and I just think that patience is just so just I I just I can't ever imagine being that patient so that's why I didn't uh, continue with animation (laughs) and um, I have always in my work tried to cut as much time as possible out of the process to get to the point and I think that's the opposite of animation because it's like a a life mission to create um, a moving image that is takes your breath away and so I yeah I just I found this absolutely beautiful and almost like each each frame was was like a a, an oil painting once you do key into right this is this is art what I'm watching then it's just well it's one of those films where you could take a frame at any point and put it up on your wall and Mm -hmm. people go wow that's beautiful or that's fascinating or you know definitely yeah Mm. I so yeah, I have such huge respect. It's a team though. It is a team. Yeah, There's so many people that go into it. Yeah, yeah. I've always I always fantasized if I had been an animator of like what my job would be. Yeah. And um my favourite one would have been to do the black outline. Oh, like, the inking. Just love that. Just love wow. it. That's also my favourite thing to teach my children when they're doing drawings. I'm like, you haven't done the outline. Yeah. You have to do the outline. Yeah. And it kind of brings everything to life a little yeah. bit. Yeah. I just love it. Given that you have experience with like franchise working on franchises can you speak a little bit about like the experience of living with a character for a long time and how you dealt with that and with like fandom and people's experiences of that character like how how is it to like have to exercise that patience do you know what I mean like in real time well I've just you have to kind of be at peace with the fact that you're in something bigger than your career will ever be so Harry Potter is a franchise that will live forever and and I think for a while it was quite overwhelming because I thought, well, surely, given that it was like almost 14 years ago, yeah. I'll be able to do work that will, it won't be the first thing that's mentioned. But having now that, now that it has been 14 years and it is literally the first thing people say about me and will continue to be and it has been. Yeah, I, I'm kind of, I like it. I really like it because it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's, it's, I'm, everyone is the product of what they've done and yeah that's that's fine I think the other thing that's (laughs) slightly strange is that I was cast because of how I look so I was cast because I wore a a pink bandana to the audition and then they thought oh let's put a pink bandana on her in the in the thing and you you have to accept that you're becoming almost a cartoon Mm. because 
they curled my hair and they, they made me wear the pink bandana and because I dress quirkily, you know, they made the character dress quite quirkily. And yeah, which means there was a blurred line between who you are and who the character is. Exactly. So from that moment on, I had to decide, right, do I continue to wear bandanas like I like wearing them or do I separate myself from the character? Mm. But that character was part of me. So mm. what do I do? And I just decided to just continue to dress as I do and not really care about it. But that does mean that in everything I do, people think, oh, why is she dressing as Lavender Brown? And why is she doing that? Yeah. And, and you came first. Yeah. And it's, mm. so it's slightly boring, but I don't mind. I think it's quite cool that they stole my bandana for a film. <laughs> I mean, it became a bit iconic. Yeah. For that so, character, do you know what I mean? Fine. So, Yeah. I mean, also what's so strange is that you realise the art behind making a movie. So... And everything, everyone has a very specific job. So when I turn up to the audition wearing a bandana that I just got from a vintage shop and like, you know, tied around my head roughly without any thought, when they see me and then they put me into the idea, right, you're now you're going to be in a film and now we have to do this 50 times and it has to be the same, the, the bandana has to look the same 50 times. So they would then, you know, iron the bandana and then fold it very carefully and then put very, you know, see-through elastic bands to tie it so that's 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 neat and then, you know, tie it. And then, you know, the way they tied it every day would be like, oh, which way did we tie it? And, you know, it, it was so, so detailed. And I was like... But to make it look like you've just chucked it off. Exactly. Yeah. I was like, but it, it looks better like I did before yeah. but that's not how things are made you know they have to everything has to be overthought yeah. mm. they turned your like your like impulsive moment or a moment of chaos for you into like a science mm -hmm. that's crazy yeah that's really gracious of you to, to have come to that conclusion over all this time because I, I imagine that there were moments where it was quite confusing and frustrating stuff and, and uh, in fact you um, recently released your first novel Sunset Congratulations, yeah, by the way. I was going to say congratulations. I saw your story when you finished it and you like put up the picture of your little workroom and I was just like, oh my gosh, that's so amazing. You must have felt such a, like, such a relief. Yeah, it was a huge undertaking, which I didn't really think about when I said that I would do it. You know, when you just, you say yes to something and you're like, oh, you don't have to do that for a, a while. And then you kind of, you slowly work on it and then, then it gains momentum and then suddenly it's your, you're consumed by it. Yeah. And then you're like, well, how so did this you're happen? Like, you're like Shinji agreeing to find <laughs> the Evas. That's basically what's happened. Is exactly. He didn't know what he was signing up for. Gets consumed. <laughs> so next you just uh, become a god form, I guess. Something basically. like that. Start and then we impact. restart the world. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I do feel like I've kind of, after it's now been, you know, it's out and it's, it's kind of flying free. Mm. I do feel like I've had to now almost start again with my life because... It was such an ordeal, the whole process. and Also, the, the subject matter itself yeah. is, is quite intense. Yeah. And, and did you find that that connected to the films at all as well? Absolutely. So, yeah, my brother died two years ago. And in these two years, I've written this book and had a baby and feel like my whole life has turned upside down and changed and I'm a new person. But I have this history and I have, I have my memories. And that's why I found so moving about this film because... Karu, mm -hmm. when they're playing piano together and when they're kind of bonding and it, he's counselling Shinji and basically saying it, towards the end of the film that we are, well, this is what I took from it. I might be completely wrong. No, that's but, why we have you here. We want your words, take. Words. Well, he's basically saying that we'll meet again and everything that's happened is that no one's gone, yeah. you know, that you can still take your memories and live with those memories and carry on. 
And just because you can't feel them here doesn't mean that they've disappeared. Mm. Um, wow. So that's what I took from it. But I might be wrong. And so, yeah. No, I, no, I, don't, I, don't, think, okay, I don't think there <laughs> is any wrong way to interpret them. Yeah. Like and if said, there yeah. was, it definitely wouldn't be that. No, okay. exactly. <laughs> okay, cool. So, yeah, so I did feel quite moved by that element of it. And it's something that I think you can only... It, it takes a while to even come to a way of thinking about it and not crying all the time to accept that that was you. You're, you still have those memories and you can now use those memories to keep that person alive mm. in some way. So the film's obviously called You Cannot Redo and it's about boldness and newness. That's kind of its mission statement. So how do you think that you push yourself creatively in new directions? I think it's a struggle constantly with creative people because I, well, personally, I constantly feel like I... I'm doing things wrong or I'm I'm a failure or I need to prove myself and that's not necessarily a good thing for making good work if you come from a place of just desperation. So I usually find that I work better when I'm relatively settled and happy and then something happens to unsettle me in some way or make me think differently and then I find I'm going in a completely new direction and I, I'm not at peace again until I have kind of got to the end of that thought Mm. so I want to be happy and I want to be somebody who has a a, you know a nice easy existence but I I don't necessarily think that's the best thing for my work sometimes so I tend to now enjoy feelings of being frantic and and worrying I don't worry so much about being anxious anymore I used to constantly think but I want to be I want to be one of these happy, breezy people and mm. and just have a nice time and be, you know, breezy. Um, <laughs> it's just, that's not going to happen for me. Is it a different type of worry, though? Because obviously anxiety quite often can be worry about things that you just have absolutely no control over and stuff, and that's when it comes becomes, like, destructive. But when you're worrying about things that you're, like, that will drive you to find solutions or work on it. Yeah, I I kind of have written about my life as so long and so it's so much of my past work has been a truthful account of exactly what's happened in my life and um, writing this novel was the first time where I've written fiction even though it's massively based in true experiences Mm. and I really enjoyed that I really enjoyed not using myself so much it was a relief to not think about myself the entire time and also given that I'm a mother and I I really can get consumed by that it's quite liberating for me sometimes to be like, right, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to think about me. I'm not going to think about my situation and what I've got to do at home. I'm going to just like go outside and just try and key into something slightly different. Mm. So I'm, I'm at a crossroads right now. I don't really know how I'm going in a creative direction that's new. I, I'm like, I don't know what's going on because I've just finished something that's just been this huge outpour, and now I need to rethink. And I'm that's enjoying exciting, that. I'm enjoying though. that because it's, it's, it's really scary to not know what you're doing. I super resonate with that because I've also just had like a big release moment. Like I dropped my album last year. Pretty much the exact same. I've let everything out now. Now I have to go and live. Do you know what I mean? And I have to go and be a part of just regular stuff again rather than try and find time to kind of unpack everything that's happened over however many years I'm unpacking over. I don't even really know till it's done. And... I, I, I just super resonate with that. I really I really see that in in myself quite a lot because every time you release a big piece of work like a, a novel or an album or anything that kind of encapsulates a moment or you want to encapsulate a moment in time and but also live on is is like you put so much of yourself into that that it's hard to see yourself outside of that. 
and you have to kind of slowly catch the rhythm of life again and just kind of grow that so like and then and then you started talking about being almost being disrupted and being inspired by disruption mm -hmm. does that make sense yeah. like that is again i was just like oh i didn't want to interrupt <laughs> you just, i was like Oh, my heart is on the floor. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, thank you for sharing. Yeah. Thank you so much. But it's also quite liberating to be like, okay, that is me. What I've just created, that's me. Yeah. Okay, and it's in a box over there now. So what do I do? I've got 30 copies at home. That's me <laughs> in a box. What am I going to do? Well, what's and good now is your like, life keeps going. Exactly. And, it's, yeah. and now I am a different person. Yes. And, and it's rather than being scared and nostalgic about, oh, but I want to be that person again. I want to have those experiences. And I want to... or or not I'm you, you have to embrace this new person and this new identity is going to create new things yeah well that's what I loved about these films like so far with these films especially this one is the fact that it's so much about continuing mm -hmm. about pushing on and just even when everything feels hopeless or when you've achieved something mm. you keep going yeah. and and new things and different things come out of that yeah, thanks, Jesse. That's like a fantastic insight and we really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed it. And uh, just for any listeners again, um, can you let them know the name of your novel? So my novel is called Sunset and it's available now in shops. In shop book, book shops. <laughs> <laughs> It's now time for our rapid-fire round of questions where we find out which characters and scenes we like the most. So, first, Shay, yes. who's your favourite character of this film? Uh, my favourite character of this film is definitely Kawaru. Yeah, yeah. 100%. I think after I got over my mistrust and my, like, like very heavy suspicions about what his intentions were to realise that he had none, yeah, he, he very quickly became, immediately became my favourite character that that film. Oh, lovely. What about you? Uh, I think Masato. I just, I love me a, like a, it's like the Valkyrie in uh, yes. um, Ragnarok, you yes. know that? Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Hardened, hardened woman. <laughs> okay. Least favorite character? Uh, Gendo. What a wang. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean that like he is a wang, not that I'm complimenting it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, who's my least favorite character? Uh... I think it's Asuka. I don't like the way she's being right now. She's real harsh. Even yeah. like at the end where you're like, you can see this kid's hurting. Like give I mean? him, ask him a second. Like, are you all right? It's, I get that she's angry, but. Yeah. So I just think it's, I just think, I, I mean, I know she's only reacting to his insensitivity and selfishness, or, or mm. what she believes to be his insensitivity and selfishness. But I just think don't, you can't, like, don't do the thing where you're mad with someone and then don't tell them why you're mad with them. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think, I think that's not really fair to Shinji, even though I'm I'm still very frustrated at Shinji's kind of character. Yeah. Also the fact that she calls him a brat. Yeah. Like, but I, I felt that though. I felt that because it was it was very much like a But it feels like an understatement, I thought. <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. But I saw I saw how she realized it was like, okay, you're not an idiot. You're actually just a brat. Your favorite scene? Yeah, favorite scene I think is when the Vunda actually ends up pulling off that crazy like 0.1% chance of succession move 
yeah. um, against against the angels over the water. I think that was a crazy right scene. near the beginning. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. is insane, isn't it? The first scene. time you see it, and it's so big. Yeah, she's like, "All oh, the thrusters, do this, do that." Ah, no, it's not gonna work. It's gonna work. We, we've done, we're done running. You know what I mean? I was just like, oh, "Okay, is it gonna work though? Are you pulling an Asuka and just being super selfish because <laughs> you just want it to be your way?" And do you know what I mean? But then they they pulled it off, and I just think they animated that amazingly. I think for me, it was the big bit at the end with uh, Lilith and the spears. I was. I think. All right. So much happening right there. So most WTF moment. Ooh. Oh, giant head, giant ray head. Cool. That makes a lot of sense. I was very confused by that as well. My moment was. It was more of the realization than like an actual confusion. It was. It was a. It was the part where a professor is playing shogi with with Shinji, and he he the part where he explains what Ray really is yep. and who Ray really is to him mm. i was like what and then they show like all the different ray heads in the hive in those little hive compartment things yeah any listeners shay's head just uh became that um, mind blown emoji yep it's basically the size of the ray head that um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that beck <laughs> beck was saying was her wtf moment <laughs> and finally what questions do you most want answered in the final film why did. Just that, just in general. <laughs> why? Why? Um, no, I want to know why Shinji's mum ended up choosing herself. What decisions made her choose herself as the test subject for mm. um, for the for the direct entry into the core of the prototype of Unit One? I would love to get her on the show. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. sit her down and just ask her some questions about that, provided she was actually here and real. But yeah, that's definitely. Definitely question I want answered most. Like, why was it maternal? Like, why did she make those decisions? Like, what what was that? Do you mm. know what I mean? What was that thought process of her choosing to choose herself, knowing that she has a son and knowing that she has a husband who she's leaving and she doesn't know what she's going into? Like, what? That's every, that goes completely against, like, her relationships, her strongest relationships in life. Not even necessarily her being a mum, but just generally her... You're closest to your child in in most cases. You're closest to your the person you had the child with. Do you know what I mean? Like, why did you choose to set to put yourself at such a point of risk and separation from that? And why did he let her? And and why did he let her? And then how did that turn into his Gendo's disconnect from mm. from Shinji in such a completely ice cold form? Like, that's a really good question to have. Um, and mine is similarly deep. As well, uh, I want to know what happened to Pen Pen. <laughs> Am I the only one? Hello, uh, Pen Pen. What happened? I was so team Pen Pen from the start. Uh, I mean, I want to. I'm probably going to try and find some merch. Yeah, some Pen great, Pen merch. good. Let's let's all get Pen Pen merch and link up. Pen so, Pen Pens. Oh my day, Pen 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 Pals. Oh, oh, oh we're starting here. Hashtag Pen 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 Pals. Oh, we've done it. Hit us up on the socials. We've done it. We've done it. <laughs> I think that's a good time to wrap up. Next week is the big finale where we're discussing Evangelion 3.0 plus 1.01, thrice upon a time. Much to be anticipated in the fourth installment. Yeah, joining us will be Aaron Stewart Arn, a filmmaker, comic book author, and Evangelion evangelist. Thanks for listening to this episode of Animator Z. And if it was your vibe, rate, review, and subscribe. Oh, I love it. Hashtag catchphrase. <laughs> And if it made you hungry for the rebuild of Evangelion franchise in its entirety, watch all four films now on Prime Video UK. Animator Z is a Little Dot Studios production for Prime Video UK. 
The show is hosted by Shay Lingo and Beck Hill. It's produced by Nicole Davis, Jake Cunningham and Harold McShill. With production coordination from Ellie Aitken and editing by James Payne. With additional research by Ren Skateni. If you've enjoyed the show, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast and wherever else you get your podcasts. 